the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Well, welcome to another edition of the SpotTrack.com podcast. Kevin Sylvester, along with Paul Peck, and the founder of SpotTrack.com, Mike Gennetti, the place you go for all of the contract information in sports, always updated. Uh, frankly, Mike never sleeps. That's, that's pretty much what it's it is. It's amazing I'm here at all. <laughs> if, if there's a practice squad guy who gets signed, Mike is on it, and he'll stay up to all wee hours in the morning to make sure he gets the latest information. I know more names than I care to know, that's for sure. <laughs> what, you know, when a transaction happens, which they happen every day now in, in sports, you're like, oh, no. crap. No, I love it. Okay. I, love it. I drink way too much coffee and I spend too much time doing this stuff, but uh, sometimes I see my family. <laughs> <laughs> we hear you. We hear you. I, you know, got a game. Marv Albert had a book uh, about that once. Hey, I'd love to, but I have a game. That's right. right. Yeah, uh, there so you go. Paul and I can relate to that. Well, we want to talk this week about just the, the business of football and how you try and build a team in today's era of football because you know Paul 15 years ago 20 years ago you know you built it you drafted a team you hung on to your players there was restricted free agency you know there was all these rules that really prevented a ton of movement and there weren't even really trades but now yeah I mean the salary cap changed everything uh in the NFL and 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 what it changed Mike is that no decisions were no longer made being made strictly by for football reasons there's so always an element can a guy play can he not play how good is he how not good is he but but there's somewhere it I don't know that it's quite a 50 50 mix but there's a percentage of every decision that's made has to be made with the financial part in line yeah there's a there's no question that it's definitely sliding towards that direction in terms of the majority of how these decisions are made but it, and it's not so much business versus football as it is the different ways that you can impact a roster these days right so there's 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 obviously a need for fluidity with your roster in terms of the business side of the football and, and what we're seeing is every single week and you, Kevin you spoke to it every single day I'm changing something you know dozens and dozens of things across these sports the football roster is changing hourly right there's suspensions coming down yeah i mean every single week you're seeing new elements to the roster that, and all of that impacts the cap throughout the entire season so it's not just the offseason it's not just free agency and trades and things like that while the season's going on everything's happening in a fluid motion and the job of the gm and the front office and and, and them are to assess this manage this make sure they're within reason but also have a plan and really, that's when you talk about team building, it's not just, you know, what's happening in the off season for the upcoming season. It's two, three years. It's longer than that in some cases. And you've got to be able to manage that with every single move they make. You know, the, the interesting thing to me is to, is style of play and, and how it's gone because that changes and sometimes can change rapidly where, what, just three, four years ago, yeah, running backs weren't worth as much. Now all of a sudden, well, wait a second, running backs are worth more again. Like, wh- when did that change? You know, and, and what's interesting to me about that is it's a huge part of how your your financial plan is put in place, right? It's how you're going to build your team in terms of passing versus rushing or, you know, pass, the ru- pass, pass rush versus run stop. You know, all of that comes into play when you're signing players, obviously, the coaching system. What's interesting is co- the coaching stability has become a joke. I mean, you're seeing five, six coaches a year be fired, and that's detrimental to a front office. When you've got a new system, you've got to obviously obviously hire, then there's a new system that put in place, then you've got to assess the the roster in terms of who fits that system, then you get to the business side of it in terms of 
well, who can we afford to lose now because we've got to change this and bring this guy in and things like that. So the, the coaching instability and, and, and the turnover in that with systems has got to be damning to these front offices. I learned a wonderful lesson about this um, when reading a book written by uh, Hall of Fame executive Bill Polian, who, who ran the Colts during the Peyton Manning era, and he talked about the fact that he had Peyton Manning and Marvin Harrison and Edron James, and and I don't know what the, but maybe 60%, 65% of their salary cap was dedicated to offense, if not even higher than that. And he needed to hire a coach when he hired Tony Dungy, who played a defensive system that was interchangeable, easy to learn. Rookies could adapt to it, step right into play, because he knew there would be constant turnover on defense because they were not going to be able to keep their great players on defense because the money was going to be allocated towards the offense. And frankly, he knew Peyton Manning was good for 31 to 35 points per game. So he just needed a defense good enough to keep his opponents at 24 or 28. Um, but that's why he hired Tony Dungy and the Tampa 2 defense, because it's simple, it's easy, it doesn't require a very specific kind of player, and you could plug a rookie into it and he could play at a decent enough level, but those were all being driven by the money concerns of saying, I need to spend 70% of my cap on my offense because I've got Peyton Manning and all these Hall of Famers. Well, there's no question that teams still think like that these days, especially with the wide open offenses we're seeing and, and the need to spend on the wide receiver position and the quarterback position, obviously. The percentages obviously stay in that direction. And I think I think to your point, I think you're seeing that with these good defenses. That flexibility is is absolutely crucial in terms of how they structure these defenses systematically and financially. Because you just can't keep players for eight years anymore. It's not going to happen. You know what I mean? You get this. You've got a nice rookie system in place where you can manage your your cap nicely with young players. But man, every year, you know, about this time of year, we start looking at veterans that that are going to be on that bubble come March. And, and it's a lot of it. It doesn't have to do with their production. They're still producing fine. They're still great players. Um, but man, those cap numbers get higher and higher every year. And it, 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 we call them cap casualties. And every year we, we do a couple of big reports just highlighting these veterans that may have to fall off the wayside because salary caps are obviously hard this year. And it's difficult for teams to keep veterans seven, eight years down the road. I, I remember when the cap first came in, and I remember having a conversation with uh, John Butler, who was former Buffalo Bills and San Diego Chargers GM, uh, late John Butler. Um, and we were talking about the salary cap and – I remember him telling me, and I'm, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna do it justice, but I'm gonna do a John Butler impersonation, anyways, because uh, I, I admired the man a lot. Kevin, it's not, it's not. I'm gonna stop now because it's terrible. But anyways, he, he told me <laughs> we can cut that. <laughs> no, I, I was I, well. I got a little bit of a cold here, and it affects my John Butler impersonation. And Paul's looking at me like, as soon as I said a couple of words, like that's not even close yeah. to John Butler how he was. But anyways. Um, he said it's it's not gonna, it's not the top end guys that are going to uh, you know be difficulty in the cap. It's going to be the mid level veterans, the guys making eight hundred thousand at the time was you know a significant amount of money. He goes, I got all these guys that you know are going to be making eight hundred thousand to a million. You have twenty or so of those. That's going to kill you on the salary cap. And it, I think that still holds true. It's a predictive comment from John Butler, and it's the cap casualties. It's the veteran players that you want to keep around, but. Uh, pay level, they've just you know, gotten to a point where you know maybe it's that second contract or third contract, and you're like, I can't afford that guy. Yeah, and, and you mentioned the, the running back and, and how that's changed over the last few years, obviously. Uh, the way we look at it is positions of importance, right? So so in the modern era here, obviously the quarterback you know is dominant and probably will be for the remainder of time, but 
you've got positions like the wide receivers and tight ends who have just exponentially added dollars to these caps because of their need to the offense, right? That I mean, the majority of plays are, are passing. Almost plays. every team starts three wide receivers. Basically, it's three starting wide Two receivers tight ends. now. Yeah. Right. Right. And uh, and even running backs are being asked to catch the ball way more now. So so their value increases when they can do that. So obviously there's there's positions of importance where, sure, pay them, pay them top dollar. You know, the, the cap, the cap is going to handle those kind of players. You want those players on your team, obviously. Right. It's that second tier. It's that tier of players who are in veteran contracts. Maybe they got a nice extension two, three years ago. And like I said, those cap numbers have risen to a point of question, right? So so if, the, if they're now, maybe their cap number is in that first tier of, uh, of rankings in terms of how high it is. And if you don't see that person as an elite player, you know, but their cap number says they're elite, that's where the question comes in. And if I, their and production is only slightly better than what a rookie on a rookie contract can do, that's what makes them, you know, sort of uh, uh, expendable. So, so that's the next level, right? There's obviously the money part of it and how high their cap figure is and things like that. But it's it's timing, right? It's it's when when is this team going to turn it over? We talked about coaching turnover. Obviously, there's turnover on the roster as well. Yeah, the, the rookie wage scale is so specific that you can essentially say, why do I need an eight million dollar player when I can have a eight hundred thousand dollar player for two years? You know, um, so so you can you can budget how that's going to work in terms of veterans versus rookies, and that's certainly a way that that's we've seen, especially in the quarterback position. I mean, we're seeing eleven, twelve quarterbacks out there with a cap figure less than 1 million right now. You know, obviously injuries have factored into a lot of that, but you've seen teams like Houston and, and and some teams around the league that if they can hit gold with the rookie, with the rookie quarterback or the rookie wide right receiver or the running back, if they can do that, it sets their cap up to build elsewhere for four years. Yeah. And the quarterback thing is where it all starts. Yeah. You know, I think back to the, to the, to the, uh, when the Seahawks were on Russell Wilson's rookie contract and and they were super good and they won a Super Bowl, it allowed them to keep all those defensive players. It allowed them to to keep the Legion of Boom, uh, Boom Doom. What are they? Legion of Doom or Legion of Boom? I think Legion, Legion of, of Boom. boom. It would allow them to keep them together because they were not paying their quarterback fifteen to eighteen to twenty million dollars a year. Well, then now all of a sudden Russell Wilson gets to the point where he needs that contract, and now all of a sudden they have to make harder decisions as to where they're going to spend the money. So if you can get a quarterback on a rookie deal and have a pretty good team around him, it gives you so much flexibility to build a winning team. And it's interesting, interesting specifically this offseason, right? Because you're gonna, you've got at least 12 teams that need a quarterback next year, arguably. Maybe more, maybe less. But 12 seems to be the number based on the research we've done. Which way are they going to go? Because there's going to be free agents available. There's going to be Sam Bradford. There's going to be possibly Tyrod Taylor, maybe even Alex Smith as free agent quarterbacks available. Are you going to pay $18 million for a free agent quarterback? Or are you going to go draft a first-round quarterback where you're paying $6 million for four years? <laughs> yeah, well, it probably depends on draft position of those teams. And maybe those players don't get signed until after the draft till those teams see – if they can get the quarterback they want in the draft. It's going to be interesting for me because it'll be a learning process, right? Because this will be the the first offseason where the, there's legitimately going to be starting quarterbacks available in March in terms of free agency. It almost never happens. Right? I mean, you had Peyton Manning, which was an anomaly. We, we, we thought we had Tony Romo for a little bit there. That, w- that was pretty fun for a couple months last year. <laughs> um, but, you know, you, you might have Kirk Cousins, Sam Bradford, Tyrod Taylor, Alex Smith, speci- you know, I mean, legitimate starting is a free agent whether yeah, he'll ever become there. one, right? Yeah, that, I think that's going to st- stick in New, New Orleans. But legitimate legitimate starting quarterbacks could be available. 
and generally what happens for agency is you, you overpay. I mean, that's almost always the case with every sport. You overpay for free agents. So unless they wait, like you're saying, we could see some ridiculous numbers coming for quarterback signings. But, but the question, it begs the question again, is it, is it the right way to go? Kirk Cousins is 30 years old. You know, Tyra Taylor is 30, 30 plus years old. Do you want to pay $25 million a year for a free agent quarterback when you could do arguably as good, if not better? I mean, there's a reason they're a free agent, right? Sure. <laughs> That's true. There's a reason a yeah. team would let them go. You know, Kevin brought up another interesting point. We talk about running backs as being one of those positions that's become devalued, partly because there's so many of them. Well, it was, wonder, but now it's valued no, again. I know, but yeah. I wonder if wide receiver is heading in that direction because so many colleges run the spread. So many colleges have uh, run six wide receivers out there all the time. There's going to be uh, more guys available to the NFL. You wonder if the contracts and the length of of teams' commitments to wide receivers will become shorter, much like they did with running backs. I heard a great discussion on the way over here today, and it was about the Los Angeles Rams and how they're sort of changing football a, a little bit, right? I mean, they've they, obviously they drafted that quarterback, and it seems to be working out. Mm-hmm. Year, you know, Jared a year Goff. and a half into it, they they, they gave up to get their guy right. for sure. Yeah, I mean, and obviously that drafting a first round quarterback seems to be the way to go in terms of you know winning the lottery and and having a cheap quarterback for five you know at least five years. But but they also structured a wide receiver core. I mean, really, they just you know brought over the Buffalo Bills and said, "Let's yeah, come much. play come play in Los right. Angeles." Robert Woods and Watkins. But they already had Tavon Austin, who is on a ridiculous extension. Um, they, they they drafted two players who actually are, are playing for them this year. So they've got an arsenal, right? They've got they've got football players at the wide receiver role across the board, and they're all contributing. And, and to your point. I think this might be a way to go. None of those players makes top dollar, not even close. I mean, Tavon Austin makes like 11 a year, which is second tier in terms of wide receiver. Mm-hmm. He's probably out the door this this spring anyway. But what they've done is, they, is they've they've brought in depth instead of elite, right? Yeah. They, they brought in guys of value, paid them a little more than they probably should have, which is why they were able to get them. But they're able to build a, a full arsenal of of players to handle injury, to handle different scenarios, to handle the spread options. So I, I, they're definitely a team to watch in terms of how the wide receiver position was built because I think more teams may look to that. Well, isn't that the Patriot way and how to do it? It, you, you, it is. It is. But the Patriots have done it with turnover, which I, it has been unbelievable. It's, it's underrated how much they've turned over that wide receiving core in the last 10 years, 15 years. And I've still been able to make this work. It's a testament to the system and stability, of course, which we talked about. Um, it, it certainly feels like Los Angeles is going in that route, and we'll see what happens with this offseason. Obviously, Sammy Watkins will need a new contract, and, and that's and another like point. That. that class of wide receivers, yeah. Beckham, Evans, Watkins, they're starting to become free agents, and we'll get our answer about whether the position's been devalued or not based on how much those guys get. I, I'm actually looking before that. It, that's a very interesting class, but but I'm looking at the Des Bryant class. I'm looking at Demarius Thomas and Des Bryant and Julio Jones, who have all been paid, have all have their extensions. And I'm not sure those teams are very happy that they have those situations on their hand right now because I'm not mm. sure that they're getting, you know, we talked about value for dollar. I'm not sure they're getting even close to it. Obviously, certainly not in Des Bryant's case. He's he's fallen out of that out of favor in terms of of a consistent offensive weapon in Dallas, and uh, you know the cap figures are rising and rising for him as well. Obviously, Julio Jones, you know, had a terrible start to this year in terms of production. Demarius Thomas doesn't have a quarterback. It's tough to blame him, but you know, again, these are top top dollar, you know, players players not just wide receivers in the league i mean these are massive massive caps and it's tough to, it's tough to value those players so like i said 
the Rams, the Patriots are a good example as well. Maybe those are systems that we need to look for in the next, you know, 18 months in terms of structuring the wide receivers with more depth. You know, as far as, uh, you know, building a team, a quarterback is a number one with that. And so, you know, everything starts and ends with a quarterback. And, uh, you know, I think you could find running backs. I, I really do. I think you can find competent running backs. It's such a short lifespan position, yeah. too. That's why no one wants to make those big money commitments because you reach a certain age or number of carries is even more important. You, you tend to fall off. Well, it's a passing game. So why am I going to invest in somebody that I have to run you know, run the football with? I, you do need to run, but you can set up the run with a pass. So my quarterback will be number one. I want to protect that asset, right? I, right? So he can throw the football. So I Offensive line, I would I would concentrate on next. I I have to have at least one elite guy for him to throw to because that attention will make the others better. Look at Gronkowski with the Patriots, and mm-hmm. and, and let's uh, the other little guys run all over the place. Um, and and then I have to defend that. You have to negate the asset. I have to negate that, right? So I I want one top cornerback and probably a safe pass want, rusher. Well, and a pass rusher. So there's there's three players on defense that you have to invest in, four players on offense at least that you have to invest. That's seven players out of 53 that you're going to have to pay big money to. Do the numbers back that up, Mike? They do. They definitely do. I mean, you're hitting all the points there. I'd say that offensive line is a little too generic. I think I think oh, real, tackle. I mean, my yeah, tackles. I mean, the centers and the guards have have increased their pay, which is I, I think is a good thing. I think guards need to be paid more. I really do, and I think that's coming. I think you've seen that a little bit last year in free agency, but uh, tackles obviously need to be paid top dollar. I, I think the cornerback market surprises me a little bit because I think the cornerback position is a, is a position that could have more depth. I think I think that could I think cornerbacks should translate to the wide receiver in terms of sure. How if those there's more receivers being played in college, then there's going to be more cornerbacks. So produced. so I could see especially because. They're just raw athletes, right? I mean, some of the I feel like and teams have done this, converted just true athletes to this position because it's really just the chase down. And if you're tall, you're you're dominant. But uh, so the cornerback position, the the way that that money has gone surprises me a little bit, especially the Josh Norman contract. I mean, that went a little bit crazy. So I could see that maybe leveling off a little bit in the next two years. Pass rush will always pay. Yes, it's pay the quarterback and pay somebody to get the quarterback. Right. To me, that's one and two, one A, one B. Um, the wide receivers position, wide receiver is extremely interesting. I think Paul made a great point, and I think it's definitely something to watch, especially when we're talking about these cap casualties coming up here. You know, keep an eye on Des Bryant, keep an eye on Emmanuel Sanders, Randall Cobb, a couple of really big names who've got okay contracts in terms of how they want to be paid, probably. But um, number one, are they going to be able to last out these contracts? And number two, what happens for the next wave? What happens for Sammy Watkins and Jarvis Landry and? And uh, Brandon, Brandon and Cooks and, and Mike Beckham's Evans. going to be interesting because he's coming off the injury year. Yeah. He's a free agent, right? This coming off season, no, he'll, he'll have his fifth year option available. Oh, one next more year, year. Okay. yeah. So these guys can all can all stick it out one more year if they if they need to, except for Watkins. Watkins was because they didn't the pick climb. the option up. So the he'll Bills be, did not. Yes. He's going to hit free agency. So well, in, the injury factor on that class too. It, you know, you mentioned with Beckham, but Sammy Watkins. They, I mean, the injury's got to be a factor. Had a, you know some injuries this year, and it hasn't been unbelievable for the Rams. So one thing we, we look at when we talk about the positions of importance is the risk of that position in terms of injury. So you know we we track the injury reserves every year, and we've got some data that sort of backs up you know positionally who who tends to get injured more. And this has to start coming into play when you're signing these contracts because because it should lead to more depth at that position, right? Which which should lower the top dollar for that position. 
You've seen that with wide receiver. We've seen a ton of wide receivers go down this year. We've seen a lot of secondary players go down, especially look at that Seattle defense. I mean, mm-hmm. they're decimated in the secondary. That's probably arguably the best secondary in the league for the last couple of years. Isn't Sherman scheduled to be a free agent too? Sherman is not, but Sherman is going to make our cap casualty list this year because of, because of the way that they the were Seattle thinking of getting defense, rid of him last year. Well, they tried to trade him. Um, well, he he made it known that they were trying to trade him. I'm right. not sure they ever actually tried to trade him, but. He, he's going to hit that list this year just because those guys are getting a little older. That defense is worth a ton of money, and we talked about how you know Seattle needs to pay. I mean, they've got no offensive line. That's exactly what they, I was thinking. They, they, their, their offensive line's a disaster. Uh, that money has got to be funneled across the line of scrimmage. They, I don't know how they've been wrong for six straight years, but they've been wrong for six straight years. <laughs> it's a good thing they've got an anomaly of a quarterback who can make defensive ends look like, <laughs> yes. look like they aren't even moving, but – yeah, they're going to have to obviously address the offensive side of the ball this year in terms of their money, and I think Sherman's a cap casualty in terms of that. But you know, looking at positions and how often those players get injured is going to is going to affect the bottom line of how much these guys can make. I think going forward, I think you're going to start to see GMs be smarter with this in terms of dealing with negotiations because you can't lose, you can't pay a guy like Odell Beckham Jr. eighteen million dollars a year if he's only going to play four games. Right, and, and that's where we're going. I mean, that's where I mean. Look at that that Monday night game last night. You know, we had hits all over the place, and they were in retaliation to Antonio Brown getting hit last last postseason. Yeah. You know, a now $17 million per year player. So if, if Pittsburgh thinks they can lose a $17 million per year player to injury and win football and have a strong salary cap, they're crazy. What what positions, maybe you don't have the information, what positions are the most injury prone and which are the least? Is that Have you figured out that information yet? So, so obviously the, the, the trenches are where the majority of the injuries happen in terms of you know offense and defensive lines. But but from there, we're, we're starting to see the secondaries really build up. I mean, the defensive backs have – they've got nothing going for them. <laughs> they, you know, penalties are against them. The passing game is obviously against them, and really the injuries have piled up because of it. I, I, I don't know if it's timid play, if, if they can't be as aggressive as they want to be because of these you know, fines and suspensions and all these things that kind of circle the defensive side of the ball. But the secondary, I think, is an increasing position in terms of injuries. Um, and believe it or not, the quarterback position is still an injury-prone position. They've done everything they can do to protect it, you know. These guys are, are making the money. They're, we're paying offensive linemen a ton more money. We're doing. I think the league has done everything they can to protect these guys in terms of the, the 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 rules of the game. But they're vulnerable. They're always going to be vulnerable, and it's you've seen it with a lot of big names this year. One, one other thing I want to um, touch on, uh, and SpotTrack.com has you know every team's cap situation. You can look at your team, go there and look at uh, how many players are currently on their contract, uh, the projected cap cap space. Draft picks available because you have to save space for draft picks to get that cheap labor, you know. Well, just like business, just like business, corporate America. But the process, right? Uh, that's a term that's used in a lot of teams. Uh, used in Buffalo, trust the process. Do we even know what the process is? I'm not saying for a specific. It may not team, be the same for each team. Well, no. I'm just saying, yeah, because the, the process seems to uh, change, and I think part of the process is you're always figuring out wh- wh- how much can I cut financially in order to build a team yeah i think the fluidity is is the consistent process across the league understanding that no one no one person is safe you know structuring your contracts so that you know there it's never four or five years down the road we've we've talked about a couple of contracts that are really just so heavy for future caps that that you can't get out of it and that's i think what teams are trying to avoid in terms of their process, their their short term, their long term goals. It's always keep yourself available, right? Keeps keep players tradable, keep players cuttable, 
keep them happy too. I mean, that's obviously part of it here, but yeah, fluidity is the, is the term with the NFL because of the hard cap. You've got to be able to flex really all positions with the, with the exception of maybe your quarterback position for a couple of years. But yeah, that's what I was going to say to you. Is there a position other than quarterback where teams are going to stop throwing big money out? Because like you said, you, you, an Odell Beckham who's such a key to what the Giants wanted to do, um, he's going to make big money, and then he goes and gets hurt, and then now all of a sudden you can't replace him either, either roster-wise or financial-wise, and it completely affects your whole season i mean is the big money gonna start to dry up at some spots long snapper long snapper (laughs) those guys are happy trust me those guys are valuable too in their own little way um you know i can sit here and say the wide receivers shouldn't make as much as they make but you know they dominate the game i Mm -hmm. mean they're the most important part of the tv show right i I mean let's be honest here i mean they're the ones scoring the touchdowns they're the ones making the great catches They're, they're on the highlight reels on youtube so you know, they'd certainly bring value to the game in terms of the viewership and scoring and production and things like that. Um, the ca- as long as the cap keeps rising, these players will continue to make more money. Should it level off? Probably, because depth should be important. I mean, I mean the team, the team itself, and the league itself are worse off when great players get injured, right? And and great players get injured because they're overused. They're you know, obviously flukes happen, but there are ways to mitigate these injuries that have happened at such an alarming rate this year, you know, and I'm interested to see how this ends up in terms of numbers this year versus the last couple of years. But in terms of important players, it's not been good in 2017 for the NFL. So there's certainly ways to mitigate that. And one way is for GMs to start saying, you know, I can't pay you 16% of the salary cap anymore because losing you would devastate our team. And we can't do that in terms of financial and a football, you know, standpoint. So, you know, GMs are getting smarter with this. Obviously, teams are getting smarter with this. Where, where it needs to happen is there needs to be a fluid divide between the football side of it and the business side of it. And I think we're seeing that with most teams. Some are a little farther behind. Today's cap fact. All right, it's time for our cap fact of the week, and it pertains to baseball, Mike, and uh, a bidding war that's emerging on the next great Japanese baseball player to come over to the MLB from the Japanese Baseball League, and everybody's falling all over themselves here to try to make this deal get done. Yeah, so the free agent market hasn't really kicked in yet, but there's certainly been some uh, some interesting discussions around Shohei Otani from J- Japan. Which I have in my fantasy league. Yeah, you no. might want to. <laughs> you jumped on him early, huh? Early, early. Yeah. So, so really, I just wanted to take a quick moment and just kind of understand the structure because it has changed in terms of these international signings over the past year. So, so, so step one with with how how a posting happens, right? The, the Japan League says, you know, we're we're ready to. This player is ready to play in Major League Baseball. So obviously, some there's some factors in terms of age and things like that 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 come across to, to baseball in terms of how he can be signed. But for the most part, it's pretty cut and dry. They post him for a fee. They essentially shop him to Major League Baseball teams, and they can set that fee up to a maximum of $20 million, which for Otani, that's exactly what his posting fee is. There's only been one other player with $20 million under these new rules, and that was Masahiro Tanaka with the Yankees. So obviously this will be a massive signing when it happens in terms of the posting fee. So wait, wait, wait. When you say posting fee, that means if I'm I'm interested in signing Otani – Yep, I have to pay his Japanese team twenty million dollars. Like That's a negotiating right, just to it. negotiate with him. Just, just, just to negotiate. Well, you you would be the winning bid. If you're the winning bid, 
If you win, if you, if you, he accepts a contract with your team, that team pays Japan $20 million. Gotcha. So I don't have to pay. Not every team's got to pay to talk to just to talk. No. Okay. So every team did offer up $20 million though. So every, every, every team did say we will negotiate with him. So he has limited that list to seven teams. So while $20 million is huge and he won't see that, (laughs) what he will see is a contract, not even close to that. So, which is interesting. So, so this is how things have changed. Each Major League Baseball team gets an allocated pool for international signings. And it's, it ranges between $4.5 million to $5.5 million based on some compensation that they can accrue during the year. But that's, that's the pool for all international signings they make throughout the entire year. And what that pool alludes to is the signing bonus that's offered to that player. So, you know, plenty of the international signings happen in July and August, and, and we're kind of at, a, at the last point here with Otani. So most of these teams have maxed out their international signing cap in terms of what they're able to offer him as a signing bonus. The few teams that do have space and they're the teams that he has agreed to negotiate with are the Texas Rangers at three and a half million and the Seattle Mariners at 1.5 million, both of who, who are, I think are our favorites to, to get him in terms of signing a contract, but there's certainly other teams involved. So this is how it works. Let's say the Texas Rangers win, win the negotiating bid. He agrees to sign a contract with the Texas Rangers. He'll get a $3.5 million signing bonus, and he'll get a minimum salary for 2018, which is $545,000. Wow. So you've got a player who is being called the Babe Ruth of Japan. He can pitch and he can hit. He's worth arguably $200 million is what I've heard a lot of these experts say in terms of valuing him from the, his, his stats over there. And he's going to make five hundred forty-five thousand dollars to play for the Texas Rangers. You know, in, by example, this year. And but that's in a one-year deal. That's a one-year deal. So what happens in in terms of going forward is he comes over with zero years experience. So he'll have to recruit six years oh. of pre-arbitration and arbitration in order to become eligible for free agency. Here's what's going to happen, though. And you know, obviously, this isn't a definite, but here's what's going to happen. He's going to sign that minimum deal this year. He'll get a nice signing bonus to go with it. Not, not a great signing bonus, but a right. decent signing bonus to go with it. That team will then attempt to sign him to a long-term extension next season, right? So they're going to buy out the rest of this six years of, of experience in, in his rookie uh, arbitration system, buy him into free agency. They're going to let him choose if he wants to go to arbitration, if he can make more money there. So if let's say he's 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 killing it for three years. He'll probably make more money going to arbitration and letting those guys decide a price rather than keep on his whatever this extension was now, you know, three years later. So they're going to give him options to make more th- throughout the extension. They're going to pay him a ton of incentives. They're going to give him suites. They're going to give him perks. They're going to give him, you know, marketing deals and all that stuff. Bobblehead night, sure. All that, yeah. So they're going to do everything they can to pay this guy as much money as possible. But for this year alone, he will make the minimum. Now, and that's the other interesting thing is if he chooses not to sign with the Rangers, because I know there's been some indication he would prefer to play on the West Coast. So when you look at the Dodgers, Giants, Padres, and Angels, their international player pool is all under a million dollars, right? Mm-hmm. So so if he chooses to really want to go to San Francisco, he's going to leave a lot of money on the table. He's going to make $300,000 as a signing bonus and 545000 So he'll make less than a million dollars for the majority of those teams. And, and I have heard the Padres as a sleeper team for this for this player. So, you know, yeah, if you can, you can get a guy like that on a one-year deal for $800,000, I think everybody's going to sign up for that. You know, the the international pool, so are we talking any players from other countries or they had played in other professional leagues from other countries? Is that what it's about? Because, yeah. I mean, there's plenty of uh, ba- baseball players that aren't American 
North American, right? I mean, right, right. Most well, of those are most subject to the draft. So okay, so, so gotcha. it's it's the professional leagues in other countries who have not yet worked with worked to deal with Major League Baseball to handle a draft situation. It's like a, a player defects from Cuba. Mm-hmm. Right. Cuba, Dominican Republic, Venezuela, Mexico. Those are the teams we're dealing with in terms of these international signings. And that's only about signing bonuses. That's in right. The pool, so not so salary. this recent CBA structured this pool be, to, to mini- minimize you know, the Dodgers and the Red Sox and those big market teams from going out and signing these guys for massive money, knowing they can and other teams can't. So that, that's why we're at this point. This is sort of like a wage scale for international players. And this is only because he's under contract with the Japanese Baseball League and the major league baseball doesn't want to they have an agreement not to poach players unless they're sold to them essentially that's right, that's right. It, it, it's, it's not a, poaching when you're writing nice it, when the other when the team that's losing them gets 20 million dollars out well, of the deal look at this is how professional soccer happens in europe every that's single true. day i that's mean right i mean teams make hundreds and hundreds of million dollars just to have, let, let other teams play you know take their player <laughs> and uh you know this is we're in, on a global sense this is common so Major League Baseball has, has brought this in to get better players here, obviously, and players want to be here. I mean, the, the thing about Otani is he, if he waited two more years, he would have bypassed, he'd be 25 years old, he would have bypassed that whole pre-arbitration process. He could have made, it, made $200 million right out of the gate because of the way that the age structure and all that works. So he certainly wants to be here and come play for a million dollars, you know, because the choice to not play and keep making a ton of money in Japan is obviously on the table for him. So it, it, these players want to be here. Major League Baseball has made a, an easy path for them to get here, and he'll eventually get a ton of money. Well, we know Japan, they're telling him to go because they're going to lose $20 million if he plays two more years. Yeah, they're happy. <laughs> they're going to be okay with it. All right, great stuff uh, this week. Enjoy the discussion uh, on building a football team. Really interesting stuff here uh, on Major League Baseball. And uh, say it again, Paul. Shohei Otani. Shohei Otani. Shohei Otani. Shohei Otani. Rolls yeah, off and, the tongue. And, and again, if you're an NFL fan and you want to start looking at who might be an ex-player on your team in the offseason, cap casualties that Mike talked about, uh, we're in December, and if your team's out of the playoff race, your next focus is going to be on what are they going to do about getting better or who isn't going to be here next year. SpotTrack.com is the place to go for that. All right. For Paul, for Mike, I'm Kevin. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>